0: Hello everyone and welcome to another UK Motor Talk Grand Prix review. My name is Jim and I'll be taking you through all the twists and turns of the Italian Grand Prix at Monza. As is fairly common in the last couple of races, we had a bit of driver news in the build-up to the weekend, but not in terms of drivers signing for teams or not signing for teams or signing letters of intent that were suddenly legally binding letters of intent, we had a, uh, a driver swap over the weekend. Alex Albon had completed free practice one and two for Williams, but turns out was suffering from appendicitis, so Nick De Vries was drafted in to uh, replace him, but funnily enough, he was there already as he completed free practice one for Aston Martin, so did free practice one for one team, had free practice two off, then did free practice three in the rest of the weekend for, uh, for Williams, and I'm uh, I'm racking my head to uh, to think of the last time a driver drove for two different teams over one weekend. That's certainly not happened in uh, in my sort of time watching Formula One, but uh, I think probably the the nearest I can get to that was uh, I'm going to say Johnny Herbert in about ninety. I think, drove for, uh, I think it was three different teams across three different races, I believe. But uh, yeah, certainly an unusual situation, but uh, hey, if you're going to get dropped into your first Grand Prix, then uh, then why not one that you've already done free practice in? But I don't think the um, task can be understated there, to do free practice, one in one car, for one team, and and get used to it, and do a, a programme for them, and then hop to a completely different car, so uh, it'll be interesting to see how he gets on. Other bit of news we had in the build-up was, uh, looks like the Porsche Red Bull deal has been uh, called off, I think it was a case of Porsche wanting uh, to buy too much, or buy in, or do things slightly on their own terms, Red Bull had pretty much always said they were open to uh, the idea of another engine partner, but only if it was on their terms. They seem to have negotiated the uh, the exit of Honda from Formula 1 on, on their terms, pretty much, and certainly invested heavily into uh, new factories and new facilities to be able to build their own powertrains. So, yeah, you can see both sides of it. It's whether it was just Porsche looking to get uh, get an entry without having to invest too much work working infrastructure in uh, and just buy it up, or whether it was Red Bull, you know, really knowing the value of what they've got I think the value of what they've got is pretty high to be honest and uh, their, their form and their performance this season certainly only enhanced their value so maybe the figure they were asking had to be uh, adjusted upwards based on performance but fingers crossed we do get to see Porsche on the grid I think uh, you know one or two more engine manufacturers one or two more works teams one or two more teams full stop is, uh, is a good thing for Formula 1 but as always the politics and the money are, uh, are important As usual, we seem to have a a raft of grid penalties announced over the course of the weekend, and and this got really, really confusing, because yet again, I don't think we had anyone really that actually lined up on the grid in order in which they qualified. And of course, the order in which penalties are applied gets most confusing as well. So what I kind of knew was that Verstappen and on, both had five-place penalties, Perez had a 10-place penalty, Bottas, Mick Schumacher and Magnussen had 15-place penalties, penalties and it was a back of the grid penalty for Saints, Sonoda, and Hamilton so yeah they've got to get a handle on this because this this is just getting a bit silly when you're watching qualifying and it I don't know it kind of takes a a bit of the fizz out of it because it's you you know that for uh, what do we got there one two three four five six seven eight and you know that for nine drivers so nearly half the field the the qualifying result is, is not what you see on the timing grid. So I heard a couple of suggestions over the weekend of different penalties or different ways of doing it. I think probably the most sensible one was probably a, a percentage of constructors' points. Um so it uh, it doesn't penalize the driver at all the The performance of the driver and and his achievements goes completely as it is, but the team can decide to give away a percentage of their points but again, I don't know if you've got somebody who's running away with a championship. Depends what the percentage is, I suppose. But if you've got a big lead, you know, if you've got a big number of points, losing a percentage will hurt you a lot. So, actually, is that a good way of of closing things up? I mean, if you've got an unassailable lead, I suppose it doesn't affect you. But if you've got an unassailable lead anyway, well, I suppose an engine blow-up wouldn't bother you either, would it? So, yeah, financial penalty, not sure about. Because it just allows the bigger teams to throw money at the problem and, uh, and change engines every weekend, and then you end up back in the uh, the position of qualifying engines and race engines and practice engines again. I think, yeah, m- maybe the percentage of points, what that number would have to be, there'd have to be some fairly in-depth number crunching, so that if you did chuck, say, double the number of engines you're supposed to have, if you put six, well, say engines, and uh, of course we mean power units or power unit components these days, if that became a percentage and you ended up, you know, Doubling the number of bits you are supposed to use, put you in jeopardy of losing the constructors championship versus somebody that that only uses three, something like that i'm I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, we, we shall see but they do need to uh, to get a handle on it. but uh, more coming up on rules and regulations changes as the weekend progresses, I am sure. <laughs> Yeah, slightly futile, but into Q1 anyway. Ferrari getting a bit of slipstreaming practice in early. Leclerc setting a fairly decent early pace. But despite the seeming to get the slipstream fairly well, Verstappen just popped it into P1 as is fairly usual. Kevin Magnussen losing a couple of lap times for track limits, so we do lose Kevin Magnussen along with his teammate Mick Schumacher, Stroll, Vettel, and Latifi. So another poor qualifying session for Aston Martin. But one name that we didn't lose that you would have perfectly understood dropping out in Q1 was Nick De Vries, out qualified Latifi straight off the bat. And although Latifi did seem to have a technical issue on his last lap. De Vries also got a lap time deleted, but he still managed to make it through, and it was about, I think, Latifi's first run was, you know... Tenth quicker, half a tenth quicker maybe than De Vries. So uh, yeah, I think it, it kind of just puts the last little nails in uh, in Latifi's coffin. To be honest, uh, he's he's been in that car all year. What we had 16 races so far, and um, first run out, and that's Vries' first ever qualifying run in Formula One, and he was only a tenth off Latifi, who's been doing it for years. I think just just underlines the the in performance there. Lovely chap, you know, good good. Driver, you know nothing against the guy personally, but I think it's maybe showing he doesn't just doesn't quite cut it at this level. And so into Q two, we had science setting the early pace, and uh, De Vries with an uh, unlucky lock up. Try saying that three times quickly uh, into uh, into the second chicane. I think it was a, a switch a switch changer. Of, um, position change he'd made on the steering wheel. Completely understandable, to be honest. As, as he said, he'd been in a completely different Formula 1 car just a, a day before. So um, he was unlucky to go out in Q2. I think whether his time, whether he'd have been able to make it into Q3 or not, remains to, uh, you know, well, I guess we'll never know. But, um, yeah, we uh, he dropped out, along with Sonoda, who didn't set a time, Guan Zhou, Valtry Bottas and Esteban Ocon. Then into Q3... Uh, Seemed like Science was getting a slipstream from Leclerc, which uh, which seemed a bit odd to me. Bearing in mind Science's back of the grid penalty that was coming up, you would have thought the Science would carry on giving Leclerc the slipstream. But uh, anyway, um, it was uh, it was Science at the top of the timesheet, followed by Leclerc, Verstappen, and Perez after the first runs. On the uh, the second runs out, uh, Alonso and Gasly both lost lap time, so They lined up tenth and ninth. Close qualifying performance between the McLarens, actually uh Norris lining up seventh and Danny Rick eighth Ricardo not you know recapturing a bit of the Monza magic from uh, from last year running Norris very very close whether it's well it clearly is too little too late but it was uh, it was good to see him up and, and closer to Norris anyway and with a bit more of a smile on his face the Mercedes both lined up fifth and sixth with Hamilton just ahead of Russell Sainz slotted into third Perez was fourth but by I think it was a tenth and a half Leclerc took pole from Verstappen so that was a, a very popular result and uh, rapturous applause from the tifosi it's, uh, They're passionate as anything and that was um, very good to see. I must admit I've, I've got my, my favourite drivers and who I want to see win but actually this weekend you did just want to see a Ferrari do well because it's Monza. Kind of irrelevant of all that really by the time we'd had all the grid penalties uh, it was still Leclerc on pole which, was, uh, which is fine but I think he was the only one who lined up where he qualified. Every Everybody else shuffled around. So it was George Russell in second, Norris third, Ricardo, Gasly, Alonso, Verstappen, De Vries, Guanijo, Latifi, Vettel, Stroll, Perez, Ocon, Bottas, Magnussen, Schumacher, Sainz, Hamilton, Sonoda was, uh, was the actual order. So um, yeah, not, not really any relation to qualifying whatsoever. It did at least give De Vries a top ten start on his uh, his first ever qualifying session, his first ever proper race weekend in Formula One. So I had a good result from him. And then into the race itself, and it was, um, yeah, funny race. This it, it kind of held my attention fairly well because there was there was always bits and pieces going on sort of further down the field and it was um just sort of building up towards the what strategy was going to work and what undercut was going to work or was the overcut going to work etc but it was i I think it was just a fairly straightforward it's monzi you do a one stop and and that's kind of it really i mean i think it looked for for anyone that ran on the hard tires throughout the race it looked like they could have just pretty much done the entire race on the hard tires a good start a clean start by pretty much everyone i think it was Bottas just bumping slightly into the back of Schumacher in the first chicane um, but it was all a fairly clean start up front, good start from Leclerc, Russell and Ricciardo Norris seemed to go backwards at the start though just bogged down really really badly off the line George Russell diving off the track and, and taking the escape road at the first chicane and uh, it sort of settled down and, and it was all kind of nose to tail really and there was, you know, Sainz, Sainz was making some good moves early on and, and was on a, a charge throughout the whole Race really um, working his way through the field, rather quicker than Perez. I think Science just seemed uh, seemed fired up and on a mission. Whether it was just the Tifosi or uh, just being at one with a car, and you know, well, he looked fairly quick in uh, in practice and qualifying. So um, yeah, he looked like the uh, the racer of the the two. Top drivers who were starting further back down the field, yeah. Just the the beginning was who's going to blink first and who's going to pit when. I think I mean most drivers had started on the hard tyres. Leclerc, Russell, Verstappen, De Fries and Ocon had started on the softs, and everybody else had, had gotten different. So it was um yeah just just waiting for the first round of pit stops really. Perez had come into the pits quite early. He had really really smoky brakes, very smoky front right tyre. In fact, I think it was actually on fire for uh, for quite. Quite well and all the slow-mo replays look rather good because you could actually see although you couldn't see the brake disc itself you could certainly see where the the hot spot or the uh the fire was because you could see it just following the wheel around and um yeah the the wheel covers uh, although I actually quite like them it uh, it certainly was hiding what was going on underneath there and it seemed to take a long long time for the smoke to disappear you would think traveling down a a long straight at 200 plus miles an hour would get enough enough of a, a breeze through it to cool it down properly so i dare say it was actually properly on fire there as the uh the air seemed to be just fanning the flames rather than uh than cooling anything down but a couple of clicks rearward on the brake bias and, uh, and after a few laps that seemed to calm down. So really yeah the, the early part of the race was just sort of waiting to see if there'd be a uh, a safety car or you know something unusual just to to spice up the order slightly. Thought we were going to get that or well we did get that on uh, on lap 12 Sebastian Vettel pulling over to the side with a power unit issue. So we had the uh, virtual safety car thrown out for that. Did think we were going to see a flurry into the pits at that Stage, but we didn't. There was, I think it was pretty much only Leclerc came into the pits, but just as the virtual safety car was ending. So I think he got about half the benefit he should have done, maybe, particularly with the pits, you know, the last corner, the Parabolica at Mons is a quick corner, leading on to a very quick pit straight so um yeah to uh, to only get half the virtual safety car advantage from the cars being slow along the uh, the pit straight whilst you're in the pit lane um, seemed to hurt him a little bit verstappen and russell stayed out so leclerc came out in 3rd and then it was uh, a few laps later when we had the, uh, the flurry of pit activity with Ricardo, De Vries, Ocon, Sonoda Gasly, Guanujo and Stroll all pitting. Russell leading, leaving it until lap 24 to pit, so we fed out into a nice gap in 4th on hard tyres and looked set to go to the end. Verstappen going to lap 26 before we got rid of his softs, swapped onto a set of mediums to go till the end coming out, setting the fastest lap a couple of laps later, around about a second a lap quicker than Charles Leclerc. Nine seconds was the gap at that stage. I was catching him fairly quickly. Sainz came into the pits and popped out just behind Perez in eighth with his soft eyes set to see him to the end. Lonzo then pulled into the pits and into retirement, so a disappointing into uh, the weekend for him. Sainz then got past Perez into the uh, the second chicane, just as Charles Leclerc was pitting, but uh, Leclerc was on the on the softer tyres, but just needing quicker pace than Verstappen. I think at this stage he needed to be about a second a lap quicker. I think, which um, was really never looked on the cards, to be honest. Norris came in with a, uh, a slow stop, came out just behind Daniel Ricciardo, then lost a place to Gasly in the first chicane and then Hamilton getting past Norris and Gasly in short order so just a uh, couple of seconds hold up for Norris in the pits kind of really sort of scuppered him at this stage it, I think it would have come out just in front of Ricardo if it wasn't for that stop but as it was ended up being behind him and then losing two places in short order because of where he'd, uh, he'd filtered out but Hamilton and Ricardo and then Norris and Gasly all swap positions into the first chicane at this stage it was all fairly sizeable gaps and the top five all the him fairly set to finish where they were going to finish. You know, I think Leclerc just couldn't make the impression on Verstappen that he needed to. Not too much going on up front, really, but keeping an eye on De Vries further back, he was having a great race. Again, you know, your first race weekend, he's, he's certainly an experienced driver. He's well used to high pressure situations. He is, after all, I'm sure he'll uh, he'll tell you the first ever Dutch motor racing world champion. Verstappen obviously holds the, uh, the Formula One world champion record, but uh, De Vries got there. First by winning the Formula E Championship, so he's uh, he's no stranger to racing and no stranger to pressure at all. As all as, as none of these drivers are, they've all been doing it since they were very very young. But there's something special and something extra high pressure about your first race weekend. And every time it swapped to an onboard, or or we saw what was going on with him, he was he was holding his own. There was no no ragged driving, no defending thin air. He just he looked fairly. Calm and composed with anything, and even even when he did seem to have little lockups here or there into uh, into the chicanes or something like that, he, you know, still getting the car rotated, not not running out wide on exit or anything like that. So he was having a cracker of a race, to be honest. And uh, and it, well, he was he was running around in P10, and Latifi was running around in P14. So again, Latifi with uh, a good few years of Formula One experience under his belt, and he's had all year in that car to be four places behind de Vries at this stage is um yeah paints a picture but Latifi and well I did say he was only four places behind him and then he got passed by Schumacher and Bottas in very short order so he was uh, six places behind his teammate Perez then made uh, another slightly unexpected stop for a set of soft tyres so lost a couple of places to Hamilton and Norris I think it was just a, a case of well he's not going to go further as he is so roll the dice and maybe he will I think at this stage all the focus was on De Vries and can he hold on for a point in his first race uh, I think Guan Yu Zhou who was, uh, was hounding De Vries at this stage uh, was a bit generous letting Verstappen through and then Verstappen didn't seem in a rush to get past De Vries so he just, just allowed that little gap to open up so uh, Zhou dropped out of the DRS range, it was about 1.6, 1.7 second gap at this stage show just a bit of breathing room for DeVries there and then towards the end of the race uh, an engine problem for Danny Rick so he pulled over to the side a, a real shame after a weekend of, of positive progress and looking like he was maybe getting getting on top of the car I know Monza's maybe a, an outlier of a circuit and it maybe masks the issues that Danny's having with the car but hey if, if nothing else as a fan of of Ricardo, it's good to see him racing further up where he should be rather than trundling around a lot further back you you could hear the disappointment in his voice nothing to show for uh, for a weekend with a performance like that is a real disappointment it was at this stage we got a safety car so uh, Russell Sainz Norris Verstappen Leclerc Sonoda and Latifi all dived into the pits looked like we weren't going to have that many racing laps and and we said I mean the the safety car seemed to take forever to pick up Verstappen in the lead in fact I think the safety car had been out for a about two and a half laps before we even saw it some cars were allowed to overtake the safety car so uh, so it picked up Verstappen but we just sat there with you know I think this was on on lap 51 out of 53 it took until the safety car picked up Verstappen and the safety car just peeled in on the last lap and allowed Verstappen to take the flag really so a race that was kind of building up and you thought oh there'll be a a good bit of jeopardy towards the end with um, even if not for the race win for who will finish in the points etc was kind of a a bit of a damp squib. I mean, I think just looking at the uh, at the timings of everything, I think Danny Rick pulled over on lap forty. Uh, it was very late, about lap forty-seven, I think, and the safety car was uh, was chucked out on lap forty-eight. So, I mean, really, the I mean, my, my issue here is not with the application of the rules. It's certainly not. A, uh, an Abu Dhabi last year situation where the rules were just completely disregarded and, um, yeah, lap cars, some lap cars may or may not be allowed to overtake and actually rather than letting the lap cars overtake and then the safety car in, in at the end of the following lap it was, oh no, just get those three out of the way and come in straight away. So that was, um, yeah, an incorrect application of the rules. So the, uh, the the application of the rules this time around was at least correct. Everything was followed. It was, you all shuffle round until the um, danger is past, and then lap cars may or may not be allowed to overtake that's entirely at uh, a race director's discretion and then the safety car will peel in and that's it but we uh, we got the call that the safety car would um, lead to the end so they, uh, they duly cross the line Verstappen from Leclerc George Russell, Science, Hamilton, and Perez. I think they, they, they've got to come up with a different set of rules. I think the safety car rules, as as they have been over many years, have not particularly evolved, whilst the need for safety cars or what happens at the side of the track or when a safety car gets thrown has evolved for obvious reasons and very clear safety reasons. You know, in, in the old days, I won't say the good old days, but in the old days, that car would, you know, where Danny had parked it was on the inside of the corner between the two Lesmos and the car would have stayed there to the end of the race and to be honest if the car broke down there on lap 2 it would have stayed there till the end of the race in the old days I think they took the view that if the car hadn't crashed there if it had merely broken down and parked there well it was probably ok if a car crashed somewhere then there's always the possibility another car could crash and end up in the same place so they tend to move it but if it was uh, just parked on the inside then um, then leave it there but of course I think was that where Hamilton Ended up in the barriers many, many years ago. I think in his McLaren days, he was uh, flat out chasing towards the end of a race and ended up parked roughly there, having thumped into the barrier. So it's um, quite right that they need to get the car cleared out of the way. I think, to be totally honest, if there's a situation that calls for a safety car rather than a virtual safety car with... I don't know, a a percentage or a number of laps remaining, let's say five or seven laps or whatever it is, you you pick a figure. And um, in that period, if there's a hazard that would require a safety car under, you know, the first 90% of the race, then actually you throw a red flag to allow the danger to be cleared and and the proper amount of racing to take place. If it gets thrown like that, then that's a situation where you're not allowed to change tyres for the restart. So everybody lines up exactly as they were albeit with the gaps reduced, or run around behind the safety car, but any laps behind the safety car get added on to the race distance. So instead of a a 50, how many laps do we do here? 53 laps, and we've done five behind the safety car, so it then becomes a 58-lap race. Uh, How that would work with fuel and bits and pieces like that. Somebody had said, you know, well, the car's are already heavy, so we don't want to to add another five laps, you know, another five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten kilos of fuel for them. Um, but to be honest at 800 kilos does does another 10 kilos make a difference but having said that that's how we've ended up with 800 kilo cars it's uh, it's only another 10 kilos for this another 5 kilos for that and all of a sudden all the differences add up But um, or as a team you bank on it not happening and run the car a bit light and try and gain a pace advantage um, and if there's a late safety car then it bites you in the arse but um, yeah it's, uh, it's a tricky one I think to be honest on balance just in terms of fairness and and not getting caught out by being unlucky by not saving enough fuel perhaps you know you've you've run a race flat out and and just judged it so that you got enough for another five laps flat out towards the end and you'll be okay and then you get a safety car and that means you run it out then um that's maybe not too fair. So I, I think just a red flag if um, if it's a situation that means the race could finish behind a safety car because ultimately that's that's not what we want to see. Is it? It, it just takes away that jeopardy at the end of it. Um, I, as I said, I don't think there was too much jeopardy in terms of who was going to win the race. I know there were plenty of Ferrari fans, uh, all the fans who were disappointed with uh, with the result. Maybe they thought Leclerc had a chance at catching Verstappen, but I think this weekend was another example of Red Bull just pretty much picking whatever strategy they wanted whether they want to do an undercut an overcut the pace is in the car and Verstappen has got the confidence in the car and can drive it at the pace it needs to be done to make whatever strategy they decide to use work really up and down the field. It was uh, it was brilliant to see get getting the points uh, and actually finishing ninth uh, in the end. So he's um, yeah he's moved ahead of Latifi in the standings after his first weekend, uh, despite Latifi. Having been there, uh, been there all season, as we've said. Uh, so I think having a, a quick rundown in the drivers' championship. Well, I won't really bother doing up at the top because we know that Verstappen's still way out in the lead and has extended his gap over Charles Leclerc. But at the uh, the bottom of the standings, in uh, in twenty second place, we have Nico Hulkenberg, who's only done a, a race or two. Nicholas Latifi in twenty first, who's done all season, and uh, an already in twentieth position is Nick de Vries. So Latifi is. Uh, is twenty first out of twenty drivers, which, um, as I say, paints a uh, paints a picture. Uh, I think DeFries did did just a wonderful job this weekend. He got driver of the day, which was richly deserved. You know, there isn't a driver of the weekend award, but he certainly deserved that as well. And I think he has more than staked his claim on a Williams seat for next year. So, how that's going to affect driver market moves? Ricardo de Williams was a possibility. So does as uh, defrees just jumped himself in front of ricardo with that weekend's performance you know one one swallow doesn't make a summer but just looking at uh, at that performance you'd have to certainly strongly consider nick for uh, for that seat certainly hasn't got the uh, the pedigree in the history of danny rick but you're, as, uh, you're only as good as your last race, and uh, although Ricardo did well, I think De Vries put in a better performance, it has to be said, than, than pretty much anyone on the grid. So it be interesting to see how, uh, how that shapes up if he manages to find himself on the grid for next year. Other notable results from the weekend there really Russell doing well to get a uh, get another podium just a, a solid if uh, if unspectacular or uneventful race I suppose from him he uh, he did well in third and Sainz another contender for driver of the day really going from uh, from all the way towards the back up into fourth position he had a, a cracker of a, a race made some really really good overtaking moves when he needed to and, and got on with things. Hamilton had worked his way up into fifth and Perez just with that later stop at the end of dropped behind so he finished in 6th, uh, the safety car taking away his opportunity to make his soft tyre run at the end work. Lando Norris finishing in 7th, Gasly in 8th, De Vries in ninth, as we said, and Guan Yu rounding out the top 10. So that about wraps it up for uh, for this week. It's uh, it's been a uh, an action-packed three weeks with uh, with three races, a triple header after the summer break. I think all the uh, all the mechanics and all the drivers and all the team personnel certainly need a break, but it's like they've never been away. But uh, we've got plenty of interesting uh, things coming up on mm. the podcast. We've got Goodwood Revival coming up this weekend, so stay tuned and we'll bring you some updates from there. Next weekend of course was due to be the Russian Grand Prix, but that's uh, not happening for obvious reasons. So the uh, the next Grand Prix weekend is the 30th, first and second of September and October so a couple of weeks gap to uh, to allow everybody to recharge their batteries before we're back with that but in the meantime as I say we've got Goodwood Revival so have listened to the podcast for that and uh, and we'll no doubt stick some pictures up on Instagram and some videos up on YouTube as well we are at UK Motor Talk pretty much everywhere uh, if you've liked what you've heard tonight do, uh, do take the time if you're able to leave us a, a review and say some nice words or even if you haven't enjoyed it leave us a nice review anyway and just stick some words in about what you'd like to hear. We produce this for you. So let us know what you want to hear more of and what you don't want to hear less of. Uh, or what you do want to hear less of. Let's drop a double negative in the end just to uh, just to keep you on your toes. So I'll finish off by saying thank you very much for listening and I'll see you next time. Take care. Bye for now. UK Motor Talk, a First Take Media production.